We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, I'm Macaulay Peterson, Editor-in-Chief of Chess-Based News. Ben is off teaching a scholastic camp this week and asked me to guest host a bit for the summer. We're going to be speaking with two prominent figures in the chess world who are active in FIDE presidential politics. As many of you will know, this is an election year for the sports governing body, and delegates from all member federations will come together in Batumi, that's in the Republic of Georgia, on October 3rd, to vote for the next administration for FIDE. My first guest is English Grandmaster Nigel Short. Nigel has been an elite player for around 40 years. At 14, he was the youngest international master in history at that time. In 1980, he finished clear second in the World Junior Championship behind Garry Kasparov. 13 years later, he challenged Kasparov in a World Championship match in London. He's won the British Championship three times and represented England in 17 chess Olympiads, if my count is correct. He's reached number three in the world rankings and remains among the top 100 players in the world today. Nigel is also a prolific chess columnist and commentator, known for his sense of humor, erudition, and as a global ambassador of sorts for the game. He's also running in the election for FIDE president later this year. So, without further ado, I bring you Grandmaster Nigel Short. Nigel, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Macaulay. We, of course, want to talk about FIDE politics, but first I'd like to ask you about something that first brought your name into the New York Times, which was January 20th, 1976, Mm -hmm. page 48 when uh, a boy of just 10 years won a simultaneous exhibition game against the great Victor Korchnoi. Yeah. What do you still remember from that uh, experience? Um, it was um, a similar... The, 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 the Russians had... Uh, they often participated in the Hastings uh, event and then people stayed on afterwards. Uh, the previous year, I'd, yeah, I was nine years old, I was in the group of uh, the the second group of juniors. I wasn't considered to be a top junior, so I, uh, the top juniors played against um, Believsky, Alexander Believsky, and I played against Raphael Vaganyan, and uh, he just absolutely wiped the floor with me. I, I was just annihilated in no no time. Unfortunately, I don't have the score of uh, that particular game following year well kids are improving quite quickly um i remember the experience uh um quite quite well um it was a very very long day you know because we'd driven down uh to london uh to participate in this thing and uh, were you still uh, just west of manchester yeah yeah that's right so in the north northwest of um, from the northwest of england and uh uh and and the game went on for hours uh really did i mean it was uh i, I don't remember but uh uh 
it was basically the whole day and uh, and going on and uh, if you look at the game now you can see that my opening plate was very very primitive i basically had no idea what i was doing but you were 10 yeah i was 10 <laughs> uh and then i started to outplay him in the middle game and uh and the the end uh game i i mean when he resigned uh i mean if you look at the position i'm i'm just completely winning but i was still surprised at the time you know it's very often that you you can't believe that uh uh you have won a game like that one thing that that i noticed incidentally from this article is that it notes that korchnoi was at the apex of his chess career in late 1974 when he played at the semi-final in the elimination matches for the world championship and lost to Karpov but it's funny because of course then he lost a match for the world championship to Karpov two years later yeah Yeah. and well and and he lost in Murano as as well in 1981 so uh, he had those three uh, successive uh, matches and uh, Karpov was clearly his nemesis and uh, you just turned 53 a couple of weeks ago yeah talking about the apex of a career when it comes to Korchnoi he's perhaps an outlier but he continued yeah. to play actively into his 80s yeah. um, so that's I guess can also draw inspiration a little bit for you this year I've you know because I've, I've taken a, a different uh, slightly different turn uh, in my uh, career um uh, things are a little bit uh, different, but I'm still intending to play chess, and uh, I will play one more event before the the FIDE election. I'll play in Abu Dhabi, and I think uh, I want more of a focus on enjoy enjoying myself. Uh, you know, sometimes I get these invitations and. Uh, you think, oh, okay, maybe a chance to pick up a little bit uh, of of money here, uh, but I'm turning towards pleasure, just <laughs> having more fun, and I think I'm playing. I, I play better if I'm um, in a conducive environment for the, for that. So I, I had a, a a bit of a slip. I mean, the, towards the end of last year, my rating uh, touched. 2700 and I'd lost quite a lot of points since since then um, my last event in in Kolkata uh, things were starting to improve and there are some signs that I'm recovering uh, my my form so I'm not sure I'll be playing quite at Victor Korchnoi's age but I think as long as I'm enjoying the game and uh, learning new things, then I don't see why I shouldn't go on. But now you've decided to take a turn towards FIDE politics. I mean, you've been involved in FIDE politics, of course, for many years uh, as a supporter in the last election of of Kasparov, Mm. although not uh, actually part of the ticket formally. So far, your announcement and public statements have focused primarily on uh, voting out Kirsan Alumshinov, understandably, who has been the president for two decades now, um, but also arguing that his deputy, Georgios Makropoulos, is the continuity candidate. Yes, that's right. Continuity, Kirsan. Uh, the Makropoulos team, by contrast, probably now would be arguing that that uh, they're interested in reforming FIDE yeah, from within. Well, that's that's absolute nonsense. So if you, if you look at their team, it's composed of the... The, the same guys who, I mean, all the team, apart from Malcolm Payne, owe their positions uh, to their fealty to Kirzan Ilyamzhinov. And they are the people, particularly Macropolis, uh, you know, who has sat by uh, Kirzan whilst he's lied to the General Assembly with his, you know, false promises. Uh, the, they have manipulated things. There has been vote rigging in elections. You've had federations which have been disenfranchised uh, illegally, in my uh, opinion. You've had all of this stuff going on. You've, um, and it is absurd to think that Macropolis is now a, a reform candidate. You know, after 23 years, he pronounces himself in favour of term limits. 
after 15 years of uh, uh, Kirzan being in power, the presidential board, actually led by Macropolis, uh, vetoed uh, a proposal of the Ukrainian Federation. It was there before the General Assembly and the presidential board recommended to the General Assembly that uh, they ignore that. So just because it's politically expedient of him to present something new now uh it um doesn't mean there's a real change of heart what was the reason for vetoing it at the time and is there a case to be made that they changed their mind naked naked power you know that's all presumably not the one they gave to the general assembly though (laughs) Uh, no it's just uh, just holding on to to power and we've got a different situation now because my view is that um uh, well, the Macropolis team is short of money. Uh, it's not just <laughs> me. So they're actually saying it them, themselves. So Macro- Macropolis, all the, all, he's a great uh, manipulator, enabler behind the scenes. But there are other people who could be who could lead this particular uh, ticket. And I, I think in order to obtain their support, he had to promise to get out of the way, that he would not stay on forever. You know, when somebody is, is, is providing funds, the term limits uh, are neither here nor there. Uh, you know, people are on, to, uh, they're on their gravy train. But in this situation, they have rallied behind macro for this election but with a clear understanding he gets out of the way at some point and and somebody else will have a go and that will also be a very very interesting case i mean malcolm payne presents himself and he's already been speaking about running in 2022 that is uh, assuming the macropolis team wins which is very very far from being a foregone conclusion uh but the, the, the idea that this group of people are just going to anoint uh, Malcolm as their, their new leader, president or whatever is, is absurd. There are very, very ambitious people in that group and there will be a hell of a fight. So, uh, you know, my, my dear countryman, I, I think, is uh, allowing himself to be used and I think he's very naive, to be honest. Um, he has been around in chess all his life. It's, uh, you know, as a journalist and many, many things. Of course, he's been doing the London Chess Classic and all sorts of things. But as regards uh, FIDE politics, he's, he's relatively new. So if I understand, you're saying that even despite his good intentions... Uh, even if they do win the election and do enact term limits, yeah. that there are going to be other people who yeah, are going sure. to be looking to sideline Malcolm yeah, by, yeah. before 2022. You bet. Uh, absolutely. That's 100%. I mean, we had dinner with him the other evening, and uh, I mean, I, I was sort of uh, laughing at the naivety of this. Yes, there will be other people. Uh, and I, you know, I could even name several people who would... Uh, be in contention uh, for that. So they, for the moment, this group for the moment are quite willing to allow Malcolm to put forward his case. Uh, Their fight will come later. He's the only one there who is a fresh face and it's very important for them to try and distinguish themselves from Kirzan continuity. So they let him, they give him space and encourage him. Macropolis has been retweeting him, actually. <laughs> That's, uh, to, uh, you know, giving encouragement to his, uh, his running in, in 2022. Uh, well, and he's only been on Twitter for about five minutes. Yeah, well, well, that's right. Yeah, that's right. That's another thing which is, which is quite funny. And uh, 
I don't think he's uh, uh, particularly good at this medium. <laughs> well, uh, one of the things on the Perpetual podcast is they have uh, patrons, patrons who support the show, and um, they are able to send in some questions. And so yeah. we got one question, which I think is probably something on the minds of a lot of people from Peter Merrifield, yeah. who uh, sort of inverts the question of why are you running for president? Um, obviously, there's the anti-Kirsan, anti-Macropolis continuity argument. But what do you have that makes you the right candidate for FIDE president? Yeah, well, I think uh, the, the the most important thing uh, that I would like to do is to invert the model of how FIDE is run. In 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 fact, uh, the model is is basically the the current model is the exact opposite of how successful sporting uh, organisations are run. They attract commercial sponsorship to the centre. So you know, FIFA is a very very wealthy organisation, and then FIFA distributes funds outwards. The, the model for FIDE is, is uh, the federations support <laughs> the centre. And uh, it's, it's a rent-seeking model. They occupy the space and they simply tax everybody for it. So if you want uh, to organise a rated tournament, you pay for that and you pay a euro per player you know getting the the thing rated if you if you want to be an arbiter then you're paying for that if you want to be a, a trainer you're paying for that it's a rent seeking model they're not contributing they're actually detracting and inhibiting chess activity so this is the the fundamental thing is to attract commercial sponsorship and you cannot attract commercial sponsorship unless you restore the reputation of the uh, organization if you google fide now and you google the, the current fide president you you see scandals and you see all sorts of uh, things that would immediately put you off being associated uh, with the organization so I intend to restore integrity and uh, clean up the the organization and I believe that uh, there are a, an awful lot of companies out there uh, who would be very willing to be associated uh, with chess and just to give a couple of examples of you know ceos or you know important figures who we've seen involved in 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 chess you know bill gates mark zuckerberg playing against magnus carlson uh you have important people like uh uh, demis hasapis who you know doing working at google now these are massive massive companies uh, and uh, are they sponsoring chess you know I mean Google has now had some sort of limited uh, involvement now there are great opportunities for increasing the revenue of the organization by millions and if we compare to other sporting bodies like uh, obviously we shouldn't compare ourselves to to football uh, that would be nonsensical but we have uh, a fraction of the uh, the budget of uh, cycling for instance it is a it is a, a, t a tiny fraction of the annual budget uh, despite the fact we have a 189 member federations and literally millions of people who uh, know how to play the game and 650,000 people on the uh, on the elo list the model is I, just, I mean just talking about the elo list by the way that um, uh, a normal thing to do is to, to get commercial sponsorship for the elo list you don't charge people for getting things rated when you have a database of uh, 650,000 uh, often 
quite intelligent people there in the particular interest group companies they are delighted to be associated uh, with things like that and to 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 run that in cricket or whatever these things they're all commercially done it brings in revenue for the administration and and uh, the they are not the current administration are not commercially minded at all they just have a very very limited negative view basically screw the players you know we're going to screw every single penny possible out of the uh the players and i travel extensively around the world and i see the effect that this uh has i've been to something like 120 countries and uh okay i was just in nigeria uh now and uh we had a blitz tournament nine round blitz tournament and uh they said it it wasn't going to be rated so i went and asked about this you know why why not i mean it it gives it more prestige it gives it more meaning if you rate the event so they uh decided to do that uh and the uh, there was an announcement made the entire room burst into applause spontaneous uh, applause these people who you know they care about these things they like to measure their or have their performances measured and why isn't it done it's because of this small tax you know just what you know paying a euro per player and all of this it may not sound very much but in some countries it makes a big difference and in south africa they have a colossal number of nationally rated events uh, only a small proportion of those are ELO rated because of the costs. In the Philippines, it is the same. There is a tremendous amount of chess activity goes on in places like uh, the Philippines. And you will not necessarily be aware of it because these things are nationally rated if they are rated at all. And we have to bring them in. I, I played a tournament last year where I was playing, you know, it was a, a tournament with six grandmasters, a number of IMs. And in round seven of that event on board one, I was playing an unrated player. Now, can you tell me, <laughs> can you name some tournament in Europe, for instance, where I would be playing an unrated player on board one in a tournament with with several grandmasters and and ims it's it's absolutely inconceivable it just cannot happen Mm -hmm. but there it can because you have guys who can play and they can play quite well but they somehow escape the system and this is all a consequence of the taxation policy uh, instituted by by Macropolis and and Co. So it's not so much that the member federations aren't getting their money's worth from FIDE, but that the entire concept of paying for services from FIDE is yeah. wrong. Yeah, that's it. That is that is basically it. I mean, FIDE should be encouraging chess, not discouraging it. Okay. There was a lot to unpack there, but just to circle back to, well, one of the, the, the principal questions about restoring um, the reputation of FIDE, yeah with an eye towards attracting sponsorship. What do you get if you Google Nigel Short? What is the going to be the difference that people are going to see? I mean, how, they'll see stuff about your world championship career. They'll see stuff about your travel. What do you hope to be uh, the, the, the thing that's going to bring in sponsors? Well, uh, you, you know, a lack of uh, criminal convictions. <laughs> maybe. No, 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 well, okay, uh, to be fair, uh, that, uh, you know, even Kirzan has uh, not had any con- convictions, but he has appeared on the, uh, uh, and is on the U.S. Uh, Treasury uh, Department sanctions list. So that that is a massive problem. And, you know, you can't run an organization without a bank account. 
so, and 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 by the way, you know, what has um, uh, Macropolis and the Seagull and uh, all these other uh, useless individuals on the uh, uh, presidential board? What have they been doing since November two thousand and fifteen? When they ostensibly actually had all the authority. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what they should have done is uh, force a vote uh, and to to get uh, Kirzan removed. Because it was clear this was an existential threat to the to FIDE. And they could have done that at the General Assembly. They could have done that. They could have done it exactly. Uh, but they procrastinated and you saw them up until you know april 30th 2018 they were scrambling to put in arrangements at the last minute and not very satisfactory arrangements either uh to prevent them having their their assets frozen so that uh shows uh lack of planning lack of uh foresight on their part they have allowed kirzan to lie through his teeth you will recall he stepped down in order to clear his name in the u.s and you you may remember uh the uh he made a lot of headlines saying he was going to uh sue the u.s government for 50 billion dollars there is no such case there never has been such a case it was obvious there was never going to be such a case because there were no grounds for this and fide have you know fide or by fide i mean macropolis and the rest of that group they have stood by him and not contradicted kirzan they promoted a fiction that he was attempting to deal with this particular problem and that that is uh it's one of the issues uh with the 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 body they knew damn well he wasn't uh, going to court but they were just happy enough to pretend to the world that uh he was trying to to clear his name might they argue that the reason for doing that was to try to protect fide in some way to, for you know essentially trying to have it not be associated with these particular lies of kirsan no i think the the the, the way to protect fide is, is to get rid of him just straight off and if he says uh you know he's taking the u.s government to court you say uh yeah where's the evidence for this and that was feasible that was possible of course it was the only reason that it didn't happen was that they didn't want it they didn't want to yeah macropolis has sat there over the decades next to kirzan while he has lied when he got up in the general assembly 2014 and said i will if elected I will put $20 million into the FIDE accounts today. Macropolis sits there, smiles, applauds with the rest of the assembly, and, of course, nothing And happened. then he admitted, and the exact term he used was this, this was bullshit. So, you know, they're dishonest. Macropolis is a beneficiary of this lies and deceit and he's quite happy to encourage it so when kirzan says 50 billion dollars court case when there is no court case anywhere he goes along with it so let's start talking straight let's have some truth uh finally in the organization and not put up with with nonsense like this well straight talk is definitely something that you're known for on a variety of subjects how important is it being a professional player in your mind uh, to be able to represent the player's interests in FIDE? I think uh, I think it is uh, uh, important. I mean, I have some views on certain things. I have quirky views. I have quirky views on things like stalemate. You know, obviously. <laughs> 
<laughs> this is not going to be uh, uh, there is not going to be a rule change <laughs> introduced I just want to kill that one before it's uh, because I've heard people discussing uh, these things there will not be a rule uh, uh, change uh, while I'm under a short administration. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely not. Although I'd be interested to see uh, some experiments with this uh, in a in in a tournament. I, I actually don't think it will make that much difference, but it will make uh, uh, a difference. But much more important things. Um, I think uh, a lot of the rules, and I've written about this several times, a lot of the the rules need to be updated. You have rule changes where uh, things, uh, you know, you're now allowed to make illegal moves in Blitz without losing automatically. And I think for Blitz, this is, uh, you can't, you can't do this, actually, that, uh, it interrupts the uh, the flow. Uh, a, a penalty for uh, making an illegal move is not not enough. Uh, there are many uh, issues like that. I want to see proper arbiters. You know, arbiters are uh, vast majority of arbiters are not competent enough. Uh, I put it at twenty five percent maximum people who are fit to do things and when we're having uh, tough events you know like rapid and, and blitz events you need top quality arbiters uh, for, for the, you know they have used arbiting as a, as a way of rewarding people we see this at the olympiad we actually have lower quality arbiters at the olympiad than we do for for regular events because there are people invited uh, some of them are there for, on competence grounds but a large number uh, are on political grounds and and they barely know the rules well you I need mean, so many arbiters for the olympiad too. well you do need uh, yeah but the, the 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 quality is is very low there, there are people who don't know how to set the clocks uh that that is a, a very much a, a, a minority but there are a huge number of people who wouldn't recognise a threefold repetition if it occurred uh, in front of their eyes. And, uh, I mean, just as in football, you wouldn't have some 120-kilogram, uh, you know, 65-year-old guy uh, appointed as a referee trying to keep up with the ball. Uh, in, the, in the same way with... Uh, chess you ought to have people uh who can uh, follow the game at high speed <laughs> by the way and uh and make correct decisions so those are issues which i uh care about and another thing i would uh, do i would be very very harsh on people who are found guilty of cheating and uh, I think there has been very little willingness uh, to deal with uh, measures uh, like this. So the handful so, of cases in the Ethics Commission that yeah. have resulted in, let's say, two-year bans is yeah, too small, uh, yeah, not harsh right. You know, if you've got two cases, let's say, during the course of uh, your career, that should be a lifetime ban. And in fact, cheating in chess is, is, is much more serious than it is in many other sports because, you know, Lance Armstrong, uh, he had all his uh, laboratories and blood doping and all of that. You could give me uh, all this at the same uh, and I will never, ever win the Tour de France. At least the guy could actually cycle. But with chess, you, don't, you actually don't even need any real ability at all. Uh, you can, you know, I could teach my dog to uh, win a tournament like this using a, a, a computer. So this is the, the basic problem that you, you, you need no... Uh, ability they're so damn powerful that the punishments have to be draconian and and lifetime bans uh, for people 
and it's even a little bit like um uh, i mean i I've, I've often wondered and this is just off the top of my my head um whether legally people can be prosecuted for fraud mm-hmm. yeah i mean i guess the difficulty is always well what are the standards of evidence required to yeah. initiate such, such yeah. draconian measures yeah i guess yeah. there would have to be a pretty high bar to yes yeah. yes that's that is correct catch the guy with a phone yeah 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 <laughs> in his yeah. hand yeah, <laughs> looking yeah. at the position yes yes yeah. yes but in general you think that cheating is actually more of a problem than most in the sport i think it uh i i i think it is um an issue uh and in in some countries is a very serious issue in some places it happens uh, pretty regularly that people are cheating and um they uh, uh administrations are not uh taking this uh seriously enough so I think the you know there have to be punishments on a on a national level, but I think the the World Federation has to lead by uh, example. Mm-hmm. What about uh, prearranged draws, which is not uh, not exactly the same as cheating, but a, a form of, yeah. of collusion? This has been yeah. in the news lately with some comments from Magnus Carlsen in Norway, and I know from talking to many people, even people who. Uh, generally, uh, you know, one would would say are, is a person of integrity. Um, there is a little bit of a laissez-faire attitude among some well, players look, with regards look, to pre-arranging look, draws. I, uh, you know, I'll I'll admit I have done this myself. You will see this in my uh, chess career, and uh, uh, I, my views have, have changed actually over uh, the the years that um, because it it was commonplace it was accepted in many tournaments I've been to tournaments where you know I mean people show up with their uh, in their tennis gear with tennis rackets uh, play uh, you know 10 12 perfunctory moves and uh, you know off they go to the court Um, I've seen this go on and I'm very glad that these uh, rules, uh, Sophia rules, have come in place. I think this was one of the great um, innovations in chess, a requirement to to play a minimum number of moves. Um, But does that actually solve the problem of pre-arranged draws or just force you to compose a game? It doesn't. (laughs) It doesn't. And uh, it is actually quite difficult to, to eliminate it. It's possible to take a a harsher line on this. It would require uh, a little bit of thought, and I, I must admit I haven't thought about it uh, sufficiently. What about requiring a result every round, like playing a a, a tiebreak blitz game in advance of a classical round, or conversely, having a draw then be replayed as a rapid game with reverse colors? No. <laughs> too complicated? It's too complicated. I mean, these these sort of, uh, uh, you know, having draws uh, replayed, I mean, they they were going on in, you know, in London 1883. I mean, all of these things have been tried before and rejected ultimately uh, because you end up with some people playing many more games. Oh, you know, if you're replaying draws, I mean, draw is a legitimate result. So you need some other way to dis- yeah, to disincentivize yeah, well, yeah, the behavior. I, I, don't, I don't consider this to be the biggest problem uh, in in chess right now. There are many sure. many other things. So it it is an issue. I think it's a low priority. Okay, what kind of people are you looking for on your team mm. on your ticket? People with integrity, yeah, yeah, skills and uh, uh, integrity. That's uh, and and people with uh, long associations with with chess. People who actually love the game. That was always one of the problems with Kizan. That uh, the uh, uh, being president of FIDE was a cover for his business activities. So this provided an opportunity for him to go around the the, the world, uh, negotiate deals, 
and people I think may be they would be very surprised at the number of deals that have been negotiated by Kiersan in connection with uh, the awarding of uh, various tournaments. So uh, it's not an accident that uh, world championships have have taken place in in places like Tripoli. Um, This, uh, you know, has given uh, opportunities for sanctions busting. Um, And I happen to know that that was uh, what was involved in that particular uh, deal with that that world championship. So basically, chess has been used uh, by people uh, conducting their own business affairs, and that's got to go. Mm-hmm. That that whole thing has uh, has got to disappear. That uh, chess uh, should be paramount and. Uh, yeah, if you go to the FIDE website, you you know, if you have a look on the FIDE website, by the way, you you would get the idea that the main purpose of FIDE is to conduct arbiters seminars and training seminars. You you've looked at it, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, they're just listed one after another. It's it's just business, you know. And the the chess, the beauty of chess is somewhere lost and forgotten amongst this. In chess, the officials consider themselves to be more important than the the players. You don't get this in other sports, or at least they try and disguise it (laughs) much better. Yeah, yeah. The players are the the stars, and the players should be the stars. Okay. Um, Recently... We uh, had the news that there's going to be a new candidate, mm-hmm. Arkady Dvorkovic, mm-hmm. who um, does have some chess bona fides uh, as the chairman of the organizing committee of the World Championship match in Sochi. Uh, and also he's the chairman of the organizing committee, I believe, of the current World Cup in Russia, FIFA World Cup, that is, uh, not the chess one. Um, and he's also very connected politically in Russia. He was the deputy prime minister under Dmitry Medvedev. Um, and in his announcement, uh, it appeared that he was consulting with the country's leadership, quote unquote. Um, Putin so. is the. <laughs> he didn't say Putin, but uh, it was pretty clear who he was talking about. And with the backing also of the Russian Chess Federation, yeah. it certainly looks as though we may actually, you may not actually be running against Kersan Olimjanov at all. Yeah, I'd be, I would be very surprised to see Kersan running uh, with this latest announcement um it's not impossible but uh it would be uh exceptionally foolish on his part on kirzan's part to uh, run against the the will <laughs> of the kremlin uh, and I think we, we've had indications over the last uh, month or so anyway. Uh, Kizan has gone incredibly quiet. I mean, he's been invisible. He's been as invisible as Glenn Stark. Uh, and Maybe more so. <laughs> more so than, <laughs> on, this, on this campaign. Uh, you know, the, the, the last time he did something very, very active um, and visible was when he got the lukewarm backing of the the Russian Federation but it's clear there have been some behind the scenes maneuvers and uh, he's just been quietly sidelined so uh, look I am you know at least 90% sure we will not see Kirzan and uh, you're right Dvorkovich are I mean, it's apparently a, a, quite a reasonable chess player uh, himself. I, I, I haven't seen this, but uh, his father was a known, uh, very much a known figure uh, within the chess arbiter. international arbiter. I saw him at uh, many events. And uh, so um, he's not uh, coming in as a, as a complete outsider a, a, at all. 
um he's a much more dangerous candidate than than Kirzan. i mean i think Kirzan was he was clearly going down uh absolutely no doubt uh, that he had uh, he was finished he would not have been uh re-elected uh at all uh, he lost so much ground since uh, in over the last uh, four years and as i've written Kirzan re-election even supposing this could happen is probably the the end of fide and I, I'm not being over dramatic. I, you know, apocalyptic about that. Uh, you cannot uh, elect or re-elect a guy who's on the U.S. Treasury Department sanctions list, and you can't open a, a bank account anywhere. So you know that that it very very clear that Fide would not have made it to its uh, centenary. Well, with that in mind, then, it, it's, it certainly would appear that this is a bid to try to have the uh, Russian influence in FIDE Correct. persist. Correct. Um, and Correct. Kirsan benefited tremendously from that in yeah. the past, so one yeah. imagines that uh, yeah. those benefits well, we will know, accrue to Djokovic. We, we, we know already that Russian embassies have been active uh, in contacting federations to support our candidate you know, uh, we, we now know who their candidate is uh, Dvorkovic but that has been recent so so you know and we can expect that on a on a, on a, on a grand scale around the world and this will also be a question of uh, for federations whether they uh, wish to give their vote to um, basically uh, an agent of the of the Russian government and to play along with with Russian soft power to allow them to control this body in perpetuity, which is clear. You know, it's it's clear that this is their intention. Well, obviously, you can carve out the election in terms of that question, whether or not you want Russian involvement or not. But then. Even if the answer is no, you don't want Russian domination of, of the Federation, then you would still have two choices. So how are you going to, uh, to persuade the voters that, that uh, you have a better chance of, of let's say, beating back at this challenge from Dvorkovic? I'll put forward my vision, my vision for change. And I, I've talked about uh, the, some of the things. Uh, and uh, basically... My, my main idea is is uh, bringing a lot more money into the game and uh, and doing away with uh, taxation and uh, you know even if you're in a country like this I mean we're in Belgium and they have a activities having a reduction of some thousands of euros uh, in in payments that are required to FIDE makes a difference you know, even in a place like this, a relatively affluent uh, country, um, and uh, I think federations will recognise this and uh, and and support this. I think also there is an acknowledgement that things have been wrong; they've been rotten for far too long. And this is a golden opportunity to bring in real change, real ideas. There are so many reforms which are required. There are reforms required within the body itself, connected with voting, by the way. Um, I mean, one of the things I would like to do, you mentioned term limits, but uh, I'd like to do away with proxies. This has uh, been greatly uh, abused. This is the idea that, that delegates can vote without being physically present. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, I mean, why should Yorgos Macropolis cast the vote of uh, Laos as he did in the last election? Why would the delegate or the president, you know, from the Laos Federation who is physically present 
hand over his vote to a person who probably couldn't even find Laos on the map. Tell me. You know, only... Some underhanded dealings. Well, yeah. Clearly, I mean, you normally wouldn't do this unless you had been promised something or you had been given something. Why, why, Why else? You know, when you're physically there, you can vote yourself. Why do you give it to a guy who knows absolutely nothing about your country it's it's clear it's as a as a payment really for something else something else which you have been offered or given what would be needed to do away with proxies would that be something the general assembly the has general to vote assembly on? you know the general you know you have to change the 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 statutes on on things like this and there's been a lot of uh, talk over the years on the voting and and people have said that larger federations should have uh, more votes than smaller federations. I don't support this idea at all. I'm totally against it. But one thing I'm definitely in favour of is putting in a minimum requirement, bare minimum requirement for FIDE to recognise different federations. What would that look? What does that minimum requirement look like? Well, the, it's based on three things: that um, that that um, uh, they have got to uh, they've got to have elections. Um, they uh, you've got to have uh, they've got to have statutes, and they've got to have accounts. Now, I don't think it is for the central body to describe in detail exactly how these these federations are run. There are cultural differences, differences, different setups in in uh, different countries. But this isn't just an absolute minimum. Mm-hmm. They got to have regular elections, statutes, rules, and. Uh, and they they need accounts. Where is the money going within a, a federation? And if they can't provide that, and incidentally, that includes some very long-established uh, federation. I mean, Japan Chess Association basically has none of these things. And they always vote for Kirzan, or they always have voted for Kirzan. Uh, you know, and that tends to be the case. The 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 less democratic the less responsible <laughs> the federations are the more likely uh, these votes are to to go for the incumbent but this is just a, a simple level of of, of governance mm-hmm. you know i'm not going to say you know here is a blueprint it has to be exactly according to this but a bare bare minimum requirement we know we know there are federations which are little more than family affairs. You know, one guy is the president, his son as the general secretary, the wife here, next door neighbour, and, and the dog as the treasurer. You know, that's the that's how uh, it goes. And uh, there's one federation which I, I, I could name. I, I think it's basically a one-man one show. This has got to stop. I mean, this is a, an abuse of the electoral process. Mm-hmm. So there will be a number of reforms of this nature. Well, and you uh, have visited uh, upwards of 125 countries, including... 120, 120. Oh, <laughs> my mistake. Yeah. Uh, and how many was it in Africa? 24 countries. 24 countries. So you, you have first-hand experience of seeing how many federations, large and small, function. Yeah, yeah. I do, I do, and uh, yeah, I mean all all over the the world. And it is not uh, the problems are not confined to confined to a particular region. This is a you know it's it it's all over. So as I say, you know, Japan people sometimes think, oh well, having statute. I've heard the comment having statutes that is discrimination against poor countries. Rubbish. 
<laughs> you know, absolute rubbish. You know, they, that's just a bare, bare minimum. Uh, and as I say, you know, that uh, you've got your Japan Chess Association, uh, Japan, one of the richest, uh, largest economies in the world, completely and utterly unrepresentative. And, uh, and that sort of abuse must be stopped. Uh, and there's been no willingness whatsoever. People, the the system has been rotten for so long, and it's been encouraged to be rotten for so long that um, uh, you know people stand there. I mean, I'll just tell you, 2010, we 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 see these abuses going on in in. In the voting, we, we had a delegate from Peru at the General Assembly. His federation, recognised by the Peruvian government, Peruvian sports ministry, he has all documents there proving <laughs> that this guy is the representative of, of chess in Peru. Kirzan stands up at the General Assembly and said, well, I was there in Lima, I met this guy, blah, blah, blah. I spoke to this guy, and he is the representative. No paper, no documents, no nothing. Makes a long speech on this, and then says, well, we'll get the General Assembly to vote on who is the, the delegate. Who do they vote for? They vote for the, the, the non-representative uh, because, of course, it's a Kirzan vote. Mm -hmm. So it's theft. It's theft in broad daylight. And, uh, I mean, it's disgusting that these things happen. And how can, we, uh, how can we prevent them from happening in this election? Yeah, well, I, I, it, it will be an issue. It will be an issue. I mean, the, 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 there were numerous irregularities in the, in the previous uh, election. I mean, the... There was a clear case with the Federation of uh, Gabon, which was disenfranchised, despite uh, having government recognition and despite having been a, a FIDE member for a, a number of years. They then went and recognised uh, uh, an illegitimate body, uh, I believe, with a, an Egyptian as the, <laughs> the, the head. And this is the, the same... Uh, it's the same principle, uh, like uh, that of the the school ground bully. Uh, school ground bully. Uh, he he goes there and he beats up some small kid in in plain view of everyone else, and he makes sure people see that he's uh, beating up the kid. And the message is very clear: you mess with me the same thing can happen to you. And that is how these guys have been operating, Macro and Kirzan. So that has been, you know, the, the way things have been done. Now, yeah, what's going to happen this time? We'll see. We'll see. But I think the fact that um, there are three horses improves the situation. It's not us and them. There are different interests. So if one side is trying to cheat, other two sides uh, can step in to prevent this or to try and prevent it. So, yeah, I'm sure there will be attempts at uh, skullduggery. I suspect it will not be as bad as it was in 2014. All right, well, it's sure to be an interesting few months. Uh, I'm sure there's much more we could talk about, but yeah. you've got to get to a commentary gig. Yeah, I, I do. Uh, we for the last yeah. day of the Blitz portion of the first Grand Chess Tour event. So thank you very much, Nigel. Thanks, Macaulay. And uh, best of luck to you. Yeah, cheers. The new Perpetual Chess theme music is courtesy of Geert van der Velt. Special shout out to him. I also want to thank everyone who supports the podcast. That includes people who tell their friends about it, people who write positive reviews on Apple Podcasts, and most of all, those who have donated to support the show. I spend about five hours a week on each episode, and even though I love doing it, it can be hard to find the time. 
Without the support of my Patreon and PayPal Perpetual Chess partners, the show would not be possible. They are Adam Ralph, Adam Van Coolge, Adrian Gutierrez, Andres Krizdewa. I hope I did okay there, Andres, on your name. Alex Pejas, Chris Wainscott, Chad Hilton, Chris Lott, Christopher Wood, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, Chris Flanagan, Daniel Naylor, Daniel Schaefer, Gary Andrews, Greg Shahadi, James Banastia, Jason Dunbar, Jennifer Valens, Jeffrey Martello, John Fernandez, Jen Shahadi, Jen Scream, Jerry Wells, John Thompson, Johnny McMenamin, Kelly Palmer, Krishna Gopalakrishnan, Lorraine Dore, Matthew Passy, Macaulay Peterson, Matthew Tedesco, Pascal Charbonneau, Paul Sweeney, Peter Lux, Peter Merrifield, Randy Tempo, Ricky Grijalva, Rob Lazorchak, Robert Steiner, Tatyav Abrahamian, Thomas Stonix, Thomas Tachenko, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, Todd Bryant, Tony Rotello, Victor Vrenkul, Zhao Cheng, and Zhivko Stoyanov. Thanks a lot, everyone. I'll be back next week with another great interview. Sports Social Podcast Network.